Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Here's the truth. We've been in here for a few weeks. And, uh, and I don't know if you got much out of it, but I'm telling you, just in my own personal time with the Lord and my own study of these passages, and honestly, every sermon, it seems like every week takes 10 or 12 hours of study and then just cutting away um, a whole lot of stuff to narrow down what we will talk about on Sunday mornings. But I'm telling you, God is using this book of Jonah to really make a difference in my heart and my life, to really challenge me in my faith. And, and even if you ain't getting nothing out of it, man, I sure have. And it's been a joy to journey through these books. And we continue with that uh, this morning together. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter three. Now, as we turn there, I've got a question for you this morning. Have you ever done anything in your past so ridiculous, so stupid, that you go, I, I, I'll never do that again? I will ask anybody else in that boat, uh, is it just me? I, literally, this is not something. My mind floods with thousands of things that I've done. Man, it's just ridiculous. Then I'll never do that again. Man, our lives and our past are chock full of that. Can I share an experience with you? Um, back when I was in high school over at Sevier County High School, uh, we had something called advanced PE. And, and, I, and of course, I kicked the football for the football team, but I also played soccer. That was my, my sport. You're like, you look like you ate a soccer player. I know, but I love soccer. It was a great, a great gig for me in high school. And, uh, and I'll never forget in advanced PE one day, we, we kind of had to find things to keep our attention. And so <laughs> we're just boys, okay? And so what we did was we wound up taking a lot of staples from the classrooms that were around us. And we found out that if you would open up the top of a stapler and you were to take out those little staples and you were to put them in your mouth, you could squeeze on the end of them and you could shoot a staple across the room. It's unbelievable. And so this day in advanced PE, we had staple wars. And so we would put staples, open staples in our mouth. And by the way, kids, don't ever do this. Um, you, you'll learn why. And so we're shooting each other. It's, I mean, <laughs> it, it was my best days at Sevier County High School, my favorite class. And uh, we're shooting each other with staples. Well, everything was going great until I put a staple in my mouth, bit down on the edges of that staple, and didn't realize it was turned around backwards. So when I bit on the edge of that staple, that staple shot right back in my throat and got stuck right about there. You want to know how I, got, how I knew it was stuck there? I could feel it. It was open. It was stuck. And so I, I tried to swallow, and I really couldn't swallow very much anymore. And I started getting panicked inside, but I didn't want my friends to know that I just shot myself in the back of the throat with a staple. And, and so I walked out. I said, I'm going to go run the restroom. And literally by this time, my, my throat is just throbbing around that staple. I'm bleeding. Uh, in my mind, I'm, I'm good as dead. And so I go to a pay phone. Now listen, many of y'all don't know what that is. Uh, back in the day, there was a box on the wall, had a cord and this little phone thing on the end, and you put a quarter in there. Severe so County High School, you have pay phones. And so I went over the pay phone and I called my, my dad, right? That's the first place you go, Dad, I need your wisdom. I don't need you to overreact, Dad, I just need you to. So I pick up the phone and say, hey, Dad, listen, um, we don't have time to discuss this, but I swallowed a staple. And he's like, what? I, like, I know, Dad, what do I do? It's hurting and bleeding. What? My dad's like, eat a banana. I was like, what? what? That didn't even sound right, Dad. You know, he's like, just eat a banana. You'll be fine. I was like, 
All right, I'm calling mom. So I hung up and I put the quarter in. I called mom. I was like, mama, listen, I, mom, don't freak out. But I swallowed. Oh, my baby, what's wrong with Mama, listen, I just swallowed a stable. I need to know. She's like, I'm going to call the hospital. So she calls the hospital and they said, whatever he does, don't eat anything, right? We need that thing not to go in his stomach. So there's a dad win right there. Anyway, um, and so we get to the hospital and the doctor's like, Man, listen, we're going to have to put you to sleep and put a scope down your throat. We're going to have to grab that thing before it gets in your stomach. Because it gets in your stomach, you're, it could tear some things up. It's like, it's just a stupid stable. Are you kidding me? So anyway, they knock me out and I wake up and I'm like, how's the stable? Like, well, it fell in your stomach. And so uh, anyway, we were digging for gold for a few weeks after that. But anyway, listen, I look at that moment and I go, that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done. I mean, it just cost a lot of money for a staple. Can I tell you what I've never done since? I've never put a staple back in my mouth. Listen, this thing being open right here, it gives me the heebie-jeebies, right? Like I just can't even look at it and make eye contact with it because that was a scarring moment in our life, right? There's just some things you've done. You thought, man, it's so ridiculous. I'll never do it again. I think about the storm that Jonah weathered there on that ship. I think about the terror that gripped him as he was thrown overboard into the sea. I think about the panic that overcame him as he was drowning. I, I think about the isolation he must have felt as he lay there in the belly of that great fish. And I begin to think this question. I bet you the next time God says something to Jonah, Jonah won't say no. I bet you he'd do things a whole lot differently. You ever been there in your life? Hey, let's summarize where we've been. In chapter one in the book of Jonah, we were quickly taken to the shores of Joppa where the prophet Jonah called to God to preach the good news to the Ninevites, rejected God's call, and went as far away from God, as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could go. Joppa was ground zero for Jonah's escape. There he would purchase his freedom via a spot on a Phoenician shipping vessel headed towards Tarsus. Now boarding the boat, Jonah does what any good runaway does. He climbs down into the bottom in the belly of that boat, as far away from God as he could get. And there we find the story continues as Jonah slept on this cruise ship of his life. God divinely interrupts his sleep with a great wind and a great storm upon a great sea. God didn't keep Jonah's running a secret for long. Rather, God exposed Jonah's sin for all the world to see on the deck of that ship as they played the casting of lots. We find this, and it was soon evident to not only the crew, but the passengers of that boat, that Jonah's sin was an offense to God and was the very target of this storm. After trying to row to shore, the crew followed the advice of Jonah, recognized that they couldn't reach the shore. As the waves grew stronger, they threw old Jonah overboard, and the storm stopped. The seas were, were quiet. And now Jonah finds himself in the water. Not only is he treading water, but now he begins to drown. The waves overtake him. He describes his experience that he went so far down that the seaweed would wrap around his head. He's drowning and he is dying. And then God appoints, the Bible says, a great fish in the moment that Jonah, who had yet to pray, calls out to God, that God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And there Jonah would lie in the belly of that great fish for some three days. You know what's unique about this story? 
is that finally the very prophet of God, the one who so proudly proclaimed that he worshiped God, finally this prophet of God prays and cries out to God. Finally, he turns his heart, his mind, and his life to the Lord. I love what Charles Spurgeon said talking about uh, Jonah's prayer. Listen to what Spurgeon says about prayer. I love this quote. It is not possible that God should refuse to hear prayer. It is possible for him to bid the sun stand still and for the moon to start her monthly march. It is possible for God to bid the waves freeze in the sea. It is possible for God to quench the light of the stars in eternal darkness. But it is not possible. It is not possible for him to refuse to hear prayer that is based on his promises and offered in faith. Isn't that a good reminder? That, that God not only answers prayer, but he answers Jonah's prayer. In church, it ought to remind us good and well today that God listens and hears and answers our prayers. It is a reminder that this story is more than just a, a fish tale. Rather, it is the telling of love and the grace and the mercy of God towards a pagan people, the Ninevites, and towards the prodigal prophet by the name of Jonah. It is also a reminder we can't miss this, that God is the hero of this story, of your story, of my story, and of every story, that God is the hero Jesus is pointed to, and the very grace and mercy of God is on display for all to see. Today, we camp out in just three verses of Jonah chapter three, the three verses that unveil an act of great faith that is missing in the lives of, of so many believers today. It is a message that is missing in many of the churches around America today. So let's dive in. In your Bibles, in Jonah chapter three, let's take a look at what the Bible says. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it the message I give you. Hey, by the way, does this sound familiar? You ever read Jonah chapter one? This is exactly the very same call of God in Jonah's life in chapter one. And yet we see this because Jonah ran away from God again in chapter three. Go to the great city. Now watch this. We find in verse two something very unique. And that is that God leads out in chapter three. He leads out with a second chance for Jonah. While we're not promised a second chance, while Jonah was not promised a second chance, God in his grace offered a second chance to Jonah when he didn't have to. Did Jonah deserve it? No. But God did it anyway. Hey, church family, real quick about verse number one. Aren't you grateful for the second chances of God? He don't have to give us a second chance, but he does oftentimes. Where would we be without a second chance from the Lord? And we recognize that what took place in the belly of that great fish and the drowning of Jonah and what takes place to, to deviate so much change here in Jonah chapter three is monumental. There is great change that takes place because watch this. Unlike chap of chapter one, verse three, this says, and Jonah ran away from the Lord. In chapter three and verse three, we find that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went on to Nineveh. Something took place in this prophet's life that made a big difference, that changed everything in him and around him. You see, Jonah got a second chance. 
I love this, Louis Giglio, he's the passion city pastor. He's the pastor of a church called Passion City and, and really one of the pastors of, of all college students around the world. Um, he has an event every year called the Passion Event and uh, thousands, tens of thousands of college students come from all around and there they begin to, to worship the Lord together here preaching for days. It's incredible. Um, our, in fact, our college students will be going this January to that event. Well, this pastor, Louis Giglio, says oftentimes people will come and they'll begin to share their stories of God's second chance. That they'll begin to talk about how that they didn't deserve it, but that God would find a way in their lives to, to save the day and to give them a second chance. And here's what Louis would always hear about their story. I just, I just didn't deserve a second chance. I didn't deserve God giving me a second chance. And you know what he'll do as a pastor? He will gently remind that person, we didn't deserve the first chance. You and I in our sin, in our rebellion against God, we, we don't deserve the first chance. Yet God in His grace, God in His goodness, God in His mercy extended to Jonah a second chance. And oftentimes in our lives, He extends to us a second chance. With Jonah's second chance came some pretty great change. Watch the change in Jonah. In chapter 1, God would say to Jonah, go. And Jonah said no. Yet here in chapter 3, God says to Jonah, go. And we find that Jonah went. Something changed in the life of Jonah. And I want to remind you of this. And here's the truth of that. And I bet you I'm getting a mic, aren't I? As if I'm not loud enough. I need a, I need a better I love this in Scripture. That this great change that comes about in Jonah's life. We begin to ask the question, what changed for him? Have you ever seen somebody's life go in one direction so long, and all of a sudden everything changed? You ask the question, what's changed about them? Well, we must ask this question of Jonah in the text today. What's changed about Jonah's life? And here's what we find out through Scripture. You ready? Here's the big change in Jonah's life. You ready? He repented. He repented. After his near-death experience, catch what he cries out in Jonah chapter 2 and be reminded. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Now let me remind you, this is the prophet who refused to pray. This is the prophet who refused to follow God to Nineveh. This was the prophet who did everything he could to get as far away from God as possible. Yet in his drowning, in the darkest moment of his life, what does he do? He calls out to God. It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Here we see the prodigal prophet is now praying. The prophet famous for running from God is now reaching out to God and repenting of his running. The man dead set on doing it his own way now yields his life to the very will of God. The man who was drowning in the sea was delivered by God through the belly of a great fish. God's deliverance of Jonah produced in him repentance. A change in his heart towards God and a change in his mind that brought him from disobedience to obedience. And that is exactly what repentance does. But Anthony, is, is repentance for me, is, is repentance really part of the life of a believer? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. And I love this. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the very message of Christ. I love this word repent in the Greek New Testament. Uh, the word itself is uh, metania. 
And let me tell you the idea it carries with it. You ready? As one commentator noted, it's basically the changing of one's mind. Now listen, I'm a dad of three daughters and I'm a husband of one wife and she's a lady too. And here's the deal. Changing of our minds happens every day. Y'all ever known the great struggle of where you need to go out to eat that night? Y'all ever ask that to your spouse, your girlfriend, your family? Hey, where do you want to eat later on? Three hours later, you are still talking about where you want to eat and everybody doesn't change your mind. Life happens. Here's the deal. The idea of this Greek word for repentance is far weightier than just a simple changing of your mind of where you want to eat. In fact, note what one commentator said. He says, in the passages where salvation is in view, it is equivalent to believing in or trusting in and involves a change of mind about any form of self-trust in human works, good deeds, or religious tradition. And it is followed by a trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, which alone has the power of saved. And that's what repentance looks like. It is included in believing. And faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin. Genuine faith includes repentance, and genuine repentance includes faith. It is the changing of one's mind about our sin, about our own adequacy to save ourselves, about Christ as the only way to salvation and the only one who can make a person right with God. Repentance is the first message we find on the lips of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, verse two, of the disciples in Mark six twelve. the very message of Peter in Acts chapter two, verse 28, and the message of Jesus time and time again in the gospels, as is indicated in Matthew chapter four, verse 17. But here's my question, church. Whatever happened to repentance? Where is the message of repentance in the life of the church today? Hey, better yet, where is repentance in the life of the believer. Let me tell you what's happened to repentance. It's become the unpopular dirty word of the church in our church culture today in America. It's become unpopular in that we find ourselves being offended by the very thought that someone would tell us to turn from our sin or that someone would challenge us not to engage in sin anymore. It's an offense to me. How dare you? We, we relish the freedom and the forgiveness that we find in Jesus Christ. We have no issue with that. But don't you dare spirit of God. Don't you dare word of God. Don't you dare preacher of God. Don't you dare friend of God. Don't you dare call me to repent. And that becomes the very attitude oftentimes of the professed believer in the life of the American church. And so today my heartbeat is, as we look into the life of Jonah and we begin to see this incredible change that takes place here in chapter three, we begin to uncover and unveil that this changes nothing more than repentance and turning away from sin and self and towards God. I want us to really grab hold of this incredible gift of God's grace that's known as repentance. And we do that by talking about two things that repentance is not. We're going to talk about a couple things that repentance isn't. And here's the first thing repentance isn't. It isn't just feeling sorry for something. You know, we live in a culture that once you're caught, you could be sorry about anything. You ever apologize for doing something you didn't really do wrong, but you were caught in it, you just apologize for it? Uh, we are quick to apologize. 
for a whole lot of things. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for something. It is a brokenness brought about by the Spirit of God in us, specifically a brokenness in our own sins. You know what? It is far easier to be broken about other people's sins that we don't struggle with than it is to find ourselves broken about the sin that we struggle greatly with, right? It's far easier for me to be broken about your sin. But when it hits home to me, and it's my sin that I struggle with, man, the guard goes up. The offense is easy to be made. Repentance is not just feeling sorry. It is far more than that. It's a brokenness over our sin. I'm gonna go back to uh, Spurgeon here. He does a great job in helping us define what repentance looks like. He says, repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin. A mourning that we have committed it. A resolution to forsake it. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. And isn't that good? That's a picture of what repentance looks like in the life of a believer. Paul would talk about repentance this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Now, wait a second. I, I got to tell you, Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, and they are actively engaged in sinful lifestyles that are completely contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes them a letter, and he lays it out on the line, and he calls them and confronts them in their sin. And in fact, he would, go, he would say before this, man, I know that this letter has been hard for you, but because I love you, because I care for you, because I want God's best for you, man, I write this. And listen to what he teaches us about repentance. He says there's a godly sorrow that brings repentance, a change, in heart, a change of heart and a change of mind that turns us away from our sin and towards Jesus. That leads us to what? Salvation and leads to no regret. But there is a worldly sorrow that brings death. Guys, we can be sorry for a lot of things, but it's the very Spirit of God in us that knows the sin in us, that leads us to a brokenness, that changes our heart and our mind towards and against our sin, against it, and turns us towards Jesus. And that's the very repentance Paul highlights here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And you know what we begin to see through the prayers of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2? Through the very evidence of those prayers and repentance in Jonah chapter 3? Is that God gets a hold of Jonah's life through this arena called repentance. I jotted this down. The goal of repentance is not guilt, but God. It is not to ruin your life but to redeem your life. It's not to incapacitate you, but to empower you to live for Jesus and to honor him in your every day. And here's the truth is, is most of the church tries to avoid repentance. We do everything we can to avoid it. But I wanna tell you, church, the message of today, the joy of today, the heartbeat of the message of, in Jonah chapter three is this, instead of avoiding repentance, let's embrace it and let's celebrate it as the gift that it is. From God. Here's the second thing repentance isn't. Repentance isn't just being sorry for something. It's a brokenness, specifically a brokenness in our own sin. But repentance also doesn't minimize our sin. It doesn't, repentance doesn't minimize sin. And aren't we really good at minimizing sin? Well, my sin is just not like theirs. 
You think that's bad. Look what, look at what they do. And so what happens is, is other people's mistake become the very standard upon which we judge our heart and our love for Jesus. But the problem is, is the church needs to pivot off of the sins of other people and begin to focus on the perfection of the God we serve, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of a loving God who is perfect in and of himself and let God be the standard. And it's then and only then that we begin to see how truly sinful we are. And it's then and only then we begin the pathway to repentance. We don't look at our life and go, oh, this sin is so, here's what we do. We recognize and repentance recognizes that all sin at its very base value separates us from God and it destroys that relationship. So repentance doesn't minimize sin. Here's what it does. Rather, it magnifies Jesus. It puts our sin under the magnifying glass of his grace so that our greatest desire becomes Jesus and not our sin. Did you catch that? Hey, repentance doesn't minimize sin. Rather, it magnifies Jesus and puts our sin under the magnifying glass of his grace so that our greatest desire becomes Jesus. And when it comes to the sin in our life, we develop a distaste and a disdain for it and we want nothing to do with it. Why? Because only Jesus satisfied and all we are left with in the sin of our life is an emptiness that will never be filled. That's what repentance begins to teach us. I love this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The very heartbeat of God for his people. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that amazing? He wants everyone Every person in this room, every man and woman, boy and girl across this world, his desire is that all people come to faith and trust a belief in him known as repentance. That is the very heartbeat of God. It's the heartbeat of God for Jonah, as we see displayed in the first three chapters of his book. It's the heartbeat for the Ninevites, who God has called Jonah to go preach to. It's the heartbeat for your neighbor, for your family, for your community, for your coworker, for your schoolmate. It is the, it's the very heartbeat of God for this world. Repentance is the gift of God's grace and love that works to our good and to his glory. We don't need to avoid it. We need to embrace it. Now listen, I, uh, I'm gonna share a story with you. It just makes me uncomfortable even sharing it. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Gary Richmond, and he decided he wanted to learn more about what it is to, uh, to work in a zoo, so he signed up to work in the snake handling part of the zoo. Guys, I'm gonna tell you something. I hate snakes, every last one of them. Every, let me tell you, where's Joey at? Is Joey back there? He had to leave a little bit. Our sound guy, who's also a deacon at this church, Joey, usually sits back there in the booth. Let me tell you what that guy did to me one day. Monday morning, I get in the office. And I, my office is right over here. And, and, I, and I roll up in my chair and, and I get underneath my desk. I felt like a bump, bump, bump on my chair. It was just me in the office. So you know what? I didn't think anything else of it. Sat on my desk for about three, four hours that day. I was just working away, making phone calls, studying all that good stuff. Well, it was about lunchtime, and so I pushed away from the desk, and I felt that again. And then all of a sudden, something was under my foot. And I looked down, and there was a snake that looked as real as any snake I'd ever cared to see. I was by myself, 
And I looked at it, it looked at me, and I died inside. You, you know what I'm saying? Where you get so afraid you can't even scream, you can't breathe, you just assigned yourself to death. And I looked at that thing, it looked at me, and then after about a minute of me just going, Yum! I thought this thing's fake, but my body wouldn't touch it. I just could not bring myself to reach it down. So I step away, I throw some things on top of it, I nudge it, and I still couldn't pick it. And finally I picked that thing up and man, I got my mom with it. Anyway, I used it to scare other people. I just hate snakes. Well, this guy by the name of Richard, I, goes or Gary Richmond, he goes in to the zoo and wants to learn how to handle, handle snakes, working properly with him. What a weirdo. Anyway, um, four, Richard and four other guys, or Gary and four other guys, they went ahead and their job that day was to take a king cobra and to milk the venom out of that king cobra. First of all, didn't know you could milk a snake. Anyway, whatever happens there, they're going to milk a snake. And so here's what they did. Four people grabbed hold of that king cobra what they do is they take, gosh, this gives me heebie-jeebies just talking about. They take this roll of paper towels, they'd press on its jaws, and that, that snake would have its mouth wide open. They'd put this roll of toilet paper in there, and the snake would bite down on it. And before long, that entire roll of paper towels was saturated with the venom of a king cobra, which, by the way, has and contains enough venom to kill a thousand adults. And they're holding on to this snake, milking it there in a paper towel. It just makes no sense to me. It's just crazy. Well, when they get done, Gary recalls that the, that the curator of that area, the leader of that area, issued out an important warning. And he said this, more people are bitten trying to let go of the snakes than they are when they try to grab them. He said, be careful. You see, if a cobra was not released properly, it could turn and very easily bite its captors. You know, I think of that conversation about sin. I mean, many people are claimed to, to repent of sin, but they don't let go of it. They don't forsake it. It's like as if you were to let go of the cobra's head, but you, you remain on to the, holding on to the cobra's tail. At some point, that snake's going to bite you, and it's going to destroy, it's going to hurt you. Isn't that the truth with sin? Isn't that what sin does? We love the forgiveness of God that's applied towards sin, but when it comes to repentance, we, we may let go of the head, but, but we want to keep hold of it by the tail. And here's the truth of all sin by its very nature, is that it will bite, it will hurt, it will try to kill and destroy. And you know what repentance does? Repentance doesn't just want to um, offer maintenance when it comes to our sin. doesn't want to just teach us how to manage our sin. Repentance wants to murder the sin in our lives. Repentance works so that you and I completely let go of the snake. We completely let go of the sin and we hold on to Jesus. That's how repentance works in the life of a believer. Can I tell you something you'll never regret? You will never regret letting go of sin. Y'all have lived long enough. You know that, don't you? You'll never regret letting go and doing away with sin in your life but we will always regret. We will always regret the sin that we hold on to so dearly. And so repentance for us today offers an invitation for you and for me, for every believer in the house. You ready? And here's the invitation. Stop trying to justify your sin. 
We need to stop trying to justify our sin. Here's what I usually tell folks. When, when people are justifying their sin, they are just in sin. There is no justification for our sin. There has only been one who's been the justification for our sin, and that is Jesus Christ, the very one who died to pay the penalty of our sin. There is no justification left for any sin in our life. So repentance is the invitation to stop trying to justify our sin. It is an invitation to stop minimizing our sin, to stop making light of the very sin that separates us from God and that that cost God his very son. Repentance is an invitation to stop comparing our sins to other people. Man, I look really good compared to Hitler. Isn't that what we do? When I drive through the state of Alabama, I look really good compared to all these people in Alabama. We we do that, don't we? Well, I did this, but did you know what she did? Well, I'm guilty of the behavior, but you know what he did? Man, it is an invitation to stop the comparison game. Because the only person in the standard we compare ourselves with is that of the very word of God. And I don't care who you are. Every time I venture there, I come up short. And it's a reminder of how much I need Jesus. Repentance is an invitation to stop justifying, to stop minimizing, to stop comparing our sins. But it's also an invitation to start confessing our sin. Last week in the Lord's Supper, we brought this up, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, if we see our sin as God sees our sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anthony, what's my first step in repentance today? You ready? Start confessing, seeing your sin as God sees it and letting Jesus clean up the mess of your life. He is faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins and and to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Start confessing. It's an invitation to start confronting our sin openly and honestly. Now, I was raised Catholic for 15 years of my life. I know we probably had some Catholic church goers in the house this morning and shout out to you, but here's one of the things that terrified me as a Catholic is that, that day I had to go to a confessional. You know what happens there? You go to a room, you know the priest is sitting in there, you got two options. Sit in a chair kind of in front of him, talk to him face to face, or there's this little wall that you could go kneel behind, it has a little screen, and he can't see you. I always went for the wall, right? Because I had to confess my sins, right? That's what a Catholic does, a Catholic boy does, and so I'd go in there and start confessing my sins. You know what I would do? I would change my voice. I remember I was 10 years old going to confession. I'd be in my voice naturally at 10 years old. I was like, hey guys, you know? And I would go to confession and be like, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. It, you know, did everything I could so the priest couldn't figure out who sinned was. And you know what, even then, in that anonymity of that time, you know what? I never told the truth. I was like, God, forgive me for not taking out the trash. There was this one time I did a white lie. I kept all the bad stuff to myself, right? I never was open and honest. I never confronted my sin during those times. Well, praise God, there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about Jesus is that he is always a safe place to go when you and I confront openly and honestly our sin. Repentance is an invitation to confront our sin head on. And repentance also carries with it the invitation to start cutting off sin's access to our lives. Guys, listen, sin only has the power in our lives that we give it. 
by obeying it and disobeying God. Repentance brings us to the place where we go, rather than obeying my sin and my sin nature, I obey the one true God. And I do not allow you, I do not permit you, sin to have any place in my heart and my life. Repentance cuts off sin's access to our lives. As I think of old Jonah, God's deliverance in Jonah's life brought about repentance that moved past just mere words and led to action and fruit in Jonah's life. It brought about a physical change in direction for Jonah towards Nineveh, but first a change of heart and a change of mind. It brought about obedience where there was once disobedience. You ready? Repentance happened the moment that Jonah dethroned himself in his life and enthroned God in his life. It changed his heart. It changed his mind. It changed his story. It changed Jonah. And I don't know about you, but I, I need the Lord in my everyday to change my heart and my mind towards my sin. Away from it and to him. And that's what repentance looks like. Can I, can I close with this story? I found this story and I love it. On New Year's Day, 1929, Rose Bowl. Georgia Tech was playing the University of California. And there was an old boy by the name of Roy Regals. And I want to show you this. This is actually footage of that event back in 1929. Hey, team, show that video real quick, if you would. And those are good old days of football, aren't they? Watch this. We got a fumble. Roy Regals returns it to his own end zone. Watch his teammate. Tackles him. Right there within the five yards, Roy Regals almost scores a touchdown for the other team. The ball was fumbled. He picks it up. He thinks he's saving the day. He's going to score a touchdown. But little did he know he's going in the wrong direction. And his own teammate has to stop him from scoring a touchdown. And I'm going to tell you, I, I read this story. And Tech would go on and, and they would block a punt that they had. And, and they would go up on the scoreboard and... I'm going to tell you, a terribly embarrassing moment for Roy Regals. The story goes that uh, the team went into the locker room at halftime, and everybody was quiet. The coaches come in, and instead of, of yelling at the team, they were, they were silent as well. And everybody just sat in silence except for Roy Regals. You know what he did? He took off his jersey. He pulled it over his head. He went to the corner of the locker room, and he wept out of embarrassment. Well, the referee came in and said, hey, coach, you got three minutes until the team needs to be back on the field. Three minutes to get them out there. And so Coach Price stands up before the team and says this, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. They couldn't believe his words. What about old Roy? He started that first half. Surely he wasn't going to play the second half. But Coach Price said the the starters are the starters. And so all the players got up and started out, all but Roy Regals. He didn't budge. The coach Price looked back and he called to him again. And he, said, he said, son, come on, let's go. And Roy Regals did not move. Coach Price went over to Roy and said, Roy, did you not hear me? The same team that played in the first half is going to be the same team that starts the second half. Then Roy Regals looked up and here's the account of the story. His cheeks were wet with a strong man's tears. Coach, he said, I can't do it to save my life. 
I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. Then Coach Price reached out his hand, put it on Roy's shoulder, and said to him, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. And Roy Regals did just that. And from the opposing team, Georgia Tech, they will tell you that they have never seen a man play football as inspired and as hard as Roy Regals did in the second half of that Rose Bowl game. I begin to think of Roy's story. I begin to think of the second half of Jonah's story that we begin to look at today. And here's what I find. Some of, some of us might find ourselves head hung low, our eyes filled with tears, hopelessness, and this sense of uselessness in the kingdom of God because of the fumbles of life, because of the mistakes of life, because of our sin. But hear me, church. The good news of the message of repentance is that that's not how God wants it to be. He's ready to pick you back up, to forgive your sins, and to get you back in the game of life that he has called you to and that he has saved you to live. And you know how you get back up on the field, church? You do so through repentance. You do so through repentance. Changing your mind away from your sin and your mistakes and towards Jesus. Some of y'all need to know that the game is only half over. God's not through with you yet. Your mistakes don't have to define who you are, yet it is in Christ that we are defined. And through repentance, God desires to use you, and God will use you. Here's the question. Will you let him? Will you repent? There's some of you here who might say, well, hey, listen, I don't even know if I'm in the game. Uh, I don't know that I've ever repented and placed my faith and trust in Jesus to even start this relationship. I don't, I don't know that I'm his. Well, the truth of that is, church, is that man, the gospel is as much for you today as it is anybody else. Today is the day of salvation for everyone who will but believe in Jesus. And remember, at the very heart of repentance is putting a belief in and a trust in Jesus. And my challenge to you today is, hey, let's get you in the game. And that is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've done. And I, I don't. If you don't know where I'm going, I don't. But the God who created you and loves you and desires you, he does. And you know what? He desires that through repentance that you'd come to him. God can save you. He can use you. And he wants to do that. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.